0: Uh, What are you going to talk about? We don't know. (laughs) Yeah, let's just see where it goes. We are uh, excited to come to you from the spring meeting for AICC in lovely Palm Springs, California, at the JW Marriott Desert Springs. We have a very exciting lineup over the next three days. And for those that'll be here and uh, have a chance to experience it, there'll be a a lot of uh, benefit.
1: I think these meetings for me over the last decade or so have been great, not just from a networking perspective, getting to rub shoulders with the industry's best, but there's a lot of thought-provoking conversation that happens in the breakouts and in the general sessions that really make you go home and think about your business and think about how you can improve on your current setup as a business owner, as a sales professional, whatever your niche is. So uh, to your point, I think we have an excellent three or four days ahead of us here.
0: Welcome to Breaking Down Boxes. I'm Gene Marino with Acres Packaging.
1: And I'm Joe Morelli with Houston Patterson and Lewisburg Printing Company.
0: We have compelling conversations with successful entrepreneurs in the packaging space. Welcome to the third episode of Breaking Down Boxes. I think we've gotten very positive response from the from the first couple of episodes. Uh, Greg Tucker, just his business philosophy and, uh, and management style, uh, very well received. And, and as we alluded in, in the podcast, we've both known Greg a long time. And uh, just to hear the story and, and a chance to share it to a bigger audience was great. I
1: can't get over where he came from. You know, the fact that he took that business from what it was to what it currently is in today's market. And, it, and you just go on their LinkedIn page, go on their website and see how innovative they are. And just hearing how he's built that company into what it currently is, is was pretty impressive. Absolutely. And it's a really impressive story. If they ever get a chance to meet him, ask questions, because I think he'll give you a, a genuine response.
0: Yeah, I agree. I feel like Greg epitomizes this, uh, the ownership and responsibility of creating continuity in leadership. and leadership. And that manifests itself in so many different ways, uh, not only in some of the things he talked about with respect to his philosophy, but uh, we also know Uh, members of his leadership team and and the way he develops that talent in there and, and what they also in their own right bring to the business and, uh, and that's really fostered in an environment that Greg uh, is responsible for.
1: So for me, hearing Greg's message of continuity and his overall vision, and then how he executes a lot of that stuff was so refreshing to hear. I think I said that in the podcast itself. Yeah. Just said something you know, maybe I can ask you to expand on. You said continuity and leadership. What does that mean to you?
0: You're creating a sustainable business. And so to the extent that the charismatic leader of the business can surround uh, his or her team's company, uh, with leadership that espouses the same core values and and really understands where to take the company and why uh, that continuity creates stability. Uh, it certainly doesn't limit growth. Or am I trying to convey that I'm anti-change because I think a business is always changing as it grows? But there's just underpinnings of continuity. You know those core values, as I said, are foundational uh, pillars to the business. And so you know from my perspective, I think it just. Uh, Creates uh, an environment that people can understand for the long haul, that it's beyond just what the next six or nine months hold for us, but sustainable and long term.
1: So many things pop into my mind when you think of continuity and leadership. To me, I think of some of the worst leaders, and maybe not necessarily in our industry, but growing up. I relate a lot of what I do today to kind of my background in sports. I think I've mentioned a number of times over the past couple podcasts about playing soccer professionally, and I did that for four years, playing at a high level. Uh, in whether it was in college or at the professional level, and you're around a lot of leaders and coaches quote unquote at the highest level and and some of those were really good leaders and I ran into honestly a lot of bad leaders as well, yeah. not just coaches but players that considered themselves leaders so I, I think back to those times it might be relevant to give you a few examples about maybe some good leadership examples i saw that maybe impacted my career and then maybe some bad ones as well yeah from a bad standpoint a lot of it comes down to communication Mm. i was playing in virginia at the time and we had a game on a wednesday night in atlanta the following saturday we were playing in montreal and the montreal game was big because it was a tv game this was in the early 2000s so we had like one or two tv games a year and so this was a big deal because montreal always got a big crowd it was a TV game my parents and a lot of people could watch so I was really stoked about that upcoming game and Atlanta I played really well in the days leading up to the Montreal game I played really well in training I was training with the starters and then when we flew to Montreal walked into the dressing room and the starting lineup was on the board my name wasn't there and no explanation and no reasoning no warning um, absolutely no communication whatsoever why I wasn't playing and I just remember for a lot of reasons being crushed terrible and then in the weeks to come following that much of the same no communication one day I would play the next day I wouldn't and, and emotionally I was all over the place he, ultimately the coach got fired and he, he, he was not a good human being but I look back on it and thinking to myself the communication aspect all he would have had to do is talk to me about why I wasn't playing or an expectation level that I should have had and he wasn't a good communicator and, and I just felt crushed because of his poor leadership yeah Another one, this one was kind of mind games, and and ultimately some of these people play mind games with uh, players, and I think a lot of employers can sometimes play mind games with employees. So this is another one that really sticks out to me. Before I played in college, it was actually during my time as a youth player, and I was being recruited. I played at University of Illinois at Chicago, but in the years leading up to me committing there, really wanted to go to Michigan State, and my club coach knew that. We had a lot of discussions about me playing there and wanting to play there. The Michigan State coach was interested and wanted to come out to practice. Bear with me as I talk soccer, because I know it's not interesting to a lot of you, so (laughs) bear with me for a second, but I, I played right back, right defense. So what that requires is to be strong on your right foot. You had to be very competent when the ball came to you on your right foot. What I was weak at was my left foot. I couldn't play with my left foot that well at the time. So when we showed up practice, the coach knew the Michigan State coach was coming just to watch me. And what did he do is he put me at left back that practice. I had never played left back in my entire life. I was a good right back. And so on top of that, all we did all practice was work on hitting long balls with my left foot down the channel. And I couldn't do it. I mean, it was a f- complete failure. Every time the ball came to me, I'd kick it out of bounds. And he would say, again, wow. okay, kick it out of bounds again. And 20 minutes into practice, Michigan State coach walked out. Long story short, he called me the next day and said, hey, I don't think you're good enough to come to Michigan State. Sorry, good luck. Mm. In my point of view, you know, why did that coach do that? And what message was he trying to send to me? I'll never never know. I'll never find out what kind of mind games he was trying to play with me that day. Yeah. But I look back on that as another example of, again, communicating the human side of managing people and leadership. And when I talk with employees today, I think back to those moments and how I felt and how the employees I talk to hopefully never feel the way I felt at those times, making sure that I'm straightforward and give them an idea and a clear expectation of what they need to do and what they should do, and then help them achieve those goals along the way. So those are a couple uh, examples of you know how my career in soccer shed a light on some bad leaders in my life. Uh, but I can also flip it around and talk about good leadership as well. And I, I do recall my first interaction after college was with Columbus. And I was there. Quite honestly, I wasn't at the level where I needed to be. They gave me a clear expectation. They gave me a clear goal. They gave me clear objectives. And, and I didn't live up to them. Instead of them going around my back, playing mind games, not communicating he just sat down with me and said listen you're, you're not good in these areas here's where you need to improve and it's just not going to work out good luck even though that was incredibly hard for me to hear i look back on that as, as being an example of really good leadership mm. yeah i was devastated at the time but i think i'd rather have somebody tell me straight up to my face here's where you're at here's where your weaknesses are here's what we need to do to improve
0: yeah you know at the end of the day you can interchange leader coach teacher you know, I think they're all synonymous. And as you said, you learn as much from a bad coach or a bad teacher as you do from a good one. So I think uh, to anybody who's uh, entry-level leader, coach, teacher, at the end of the day, you have to build your own personal approach and you got to be able to take from the good and learn from the bad in order to develop your own body of work.
1: I feel like You know, those times as a coach or as a player, for me, it opened my eyes to how to to lead, how to manage people, both good and bad. Something I will never forget in my lifetime. After my playing days were done, um, I was at the time, probably in my mid-20s, early 20s, coaching youth players. And I was working with a group of extremely talented um, like 16 17 year old girls most of them were athletes that were going to go on a scholarship to play at various division 1 universities following the season i recall getting an invitation from one of the girls to go to her on her signing party at her high school the the high school did a little ceremony and honored the kids that had signed Division One scholarships. Yeah. Not uncommon for coaches to be invited to those kind of things, so I showed up. She showed me around the trophy case with her parents, and then I watched the ceremony, and following the ceremony, she gave me a, a little card, to be honest with you. I was like, okay, well, this is kind of strange, but okay. you know. She said to me, don't open this now. I want you to open it later, and I'm thinking, oh, gosh. <laughs> a lot of things were going through my mind, so I get into my car, and I open this card, and it said, Coach Joe, I was going through a very difficult time in my life, when you started coaching me. And I just wanted to say thank you because without your involvement in my life, I don't know what would have happened to me. And that blew me away. I was shocked. And, then, and I started thinking back, like, what did I do? The next time I saw her, I said, I'm grateful that you said those things, but what did I do? And, and she said to me, all you did was ask how my day was. Before practice started, I would say, Jenna, how was your day? How was, how was class? How was school? And she would say good or bad or whatever. Two-minute conversation max really hit me at the time. You know, that was pretty important. This is kind of coincidental as well, but I remember listening to Ryan Chappell at an AICC event in maybe Dallas, Texas, early in my career. And I remember him telling almost the identical story, but with an employee. His point of view, though, was a little different in that he was overwhelmed at work. He was wearing a billion different hats. And... An employee had come into his office and said, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. Hmm. And he was so busy, he didn't have the time to talk to her. But something had happened tragic in that woman's life. He regretted not giving her those two minutes. So I guess between my story with with the player that I coached and then hearing Ryan's story made me really think about the human element of leading and how... You know you don't know a lot of times what's happening outside of work or outside of the field and sometimes all it takes is just a simple two-minute conversation about how you're doing or how they're doing or how was your day to make an impact in somebody's career, somebody's life.
0: Funny last night the the national championship for basketball was on and, and at the end of it we were flipping through channels and the 30 for 30 on Coach V came on and it's just you, you talk about these core values and, and, and coaching and leadership, and, and he gave a speech where he talked about the, the three most important things on, on his team. Uh, we tell each other we love each other. Uh, there's no quit. There's never, ever any quit, and you have to have hope. And, and that, that was his foundation that he created to, to bring a group of guys together to do the unthinkable, which at the time was to beat Houston. So if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. But the, uh, the point of the story is there is an aspect and, a, uh, and an example of very powerful, uh, very clear understanding of, of what's important.
1: You said an uh, interesting thing there about Coach V and the hope, which perfectly lets us... Get into John Berg. Yeah. You know, that's an incredible segue because I think even John said in his message to us, when you asked him what it is that you must have to, to have that self-drive and you have that belief in yourself, what is the one most important thing? And I think he said, you better know in your mind and believe what you have in your mind is right in order for you to pursue that goal or dream. And so as we exit the talk on Greg and start talking about JB, I mean, his hope... <laughs> You know, in his vision, in his mind, was something that I, I swear I've listened to that episode three or four times, and each time I pick up something new from John that I will personally use in my career.
0: Yeah. We called John and said we want you to record this podcast, and and John was so nervous and hope my message is is compelling, and and how do I craft something that that people will be interested in? And we just kind of kept redirecting him. Don't don't you know make a few notes and don't write a script and just be yourself. Just be the the JB that we love. And and he certainly, uh, he certainly delivered very few people that I've met in my lifetime personally and professionally that have the sort of inner drive, uh, when faced with failure over and over again. And, and I believe that these, these threads of our lives weave into a tapestry that create our core values, our style, our, our leadership style, our management style, our parenting style, our coaching style—all—all all, aspects—and—and and his tapestry is is quite a beautiful work of art. It was great to have him share it with us.
1: When I asked him, I think it was maybe the first or second time he got fired. I don't remember exactly <laughs> which time that he got chopped from his job, but. I asked, did you ever think to yourself, oh man, what am I going to do? And his response was no freaking
0: way. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was just very quick response.
1: Like I didn't even get the question out of my mouth before he answered in a very strongly worded way. And how old is John now? He's in his seventies. He is. His mind today thinks the same way he did at 30. There's just no quit. I mean, I don't know about you. Failure is a part of our, our business. Sure. obviously every day you're going to run into something that doesn't go the way you want it to go. That mindset's going to creep in, like, oh my God, did I make the right decision? Did I do this correctly? Am I leading the company in the right way? I don't think that guy ever once said I'm not doing the right thing. Like, this is what's right. Yeah. I can't say I've been that way in my career. There's been a number of doubtful moments in my life that I've said, "Geez, am I doing this right? Like, am <laughs> I really? Those... Yeah. Like, am I yeah. really doing this correctly? Am I really on the right path?" And then you I don't gotta believe, can, baby. I guess. And I mean, he <laughs> believes. Uh, which was it was was an incredible thing
0: so you you kind of hit on something very interesting and and i think you know you have some recent exciting news uh, about your business maybe you can share uh, a little bit about what's occurred and you're about to bring uh two cultures together maybe uh some of your responsibilities at the company and and what you think is going to be important here from from an onboarding perspective
1: you know, I won't bore everybody with the Houston Patterson story, but recently my father-in-law, Tanya's dad, uh, decided to retire and we wanted to grow the business. Uh, we had big goals and aspirations and he wanted us to achieve those goals, but didn't want to put any more money in. So Tanya and I started looking for financial partners to get involved with. What was next? We, we certainly wanted to be involved in the business moving forward. You know, one of the things that we looked for in finding partners um, was somebody that wanted to commit to us as people just as much as we wanted to commit to them. And and through the process of meeting with different PEs and different people, it became clear when we met with the right one who who that was going to be. And that was a group called Radial Equity. From day one, when Keith Sikorian came in and and met with us and talked with us, and Gene and I are going to talk a little bit about the human aspect of things today and human-to-human contact and what that means, they very much so were interested in us as human beings. And we felt from day one, they were going to be a good partner. So as it developed with them and it it became clear that they were the people we wanted to partner with, and then they had stake in Lewisburg Printing Company. It just became a perfect storm of events that was just too good to pass up. It's funny to even talk about Lewisburg Printing Company as uh, friends and not foes, because for the last decade, they've been our biggest competitor. Fourth generation business. They were founded in 1898. We were founded in 1895. The correlations were incredible to the point where their sales manager is the son-in-law, as am I. So there are a number of corresponding aspects to our businesses. So once we found this perfect fit, it was just a matter of getting this deal done to make sure we put our two businesses together. So this is new, obviously, it's only a couple weeks in. we're still in the honeymoon phase. But as we start to integrate our synergies and start to work together and try to tap into the potential that this has, It's opened our eyes to how many, literally thousands of things at this point that we need to get dialed in and lead the combined entities group down the right path. Honestly, eager to talk to you and other people now that this is public news because people with experience will be able to guide us. But... It's definitely you're staring up at the mountain right now, yeah you know um, you've been in these p- positions where you got thousands of things to do. where do you yeah. start? yeah, so fortunately, we have a good executive management team now with timelines in place we have a checklist of things to do and we're just really eager to get moving on this yeah. thing
0: that's great, yeah, I think so much of it is the dynamics behind assimilated cultures cultures that are that are very uh, closely related uh, similar uh, the way they manage their teams the way they try to lead the business. I I believe acquisitions or mergers or joint ventures where that cultural dynamic exists significantly improves the likelihood of success. I think it is extremely challenging to marry uh, very dichotomous cultures together and expect a better outcome. Uh, because uh, there's just things that are important or prioritized on one side aren't on the other. So I think that uh, the time that you spent to make sure that you found someone and could partner with someone that that fit those uh, characteristics and requirements is a really important piece to kind of helping on the road to success.
1: In order for our business to sustain itself, we didn't need this. We sought after this. So we were in a position where we could kind of pick and choose who we wanted to partner with. We weren't desperate to jump at the first thing that come, came our way. So in that process and getting to know Hale Hawkins and Kirk Kelso at LPC, it was pretty easy to see that our cultures aligned. Down to the littlest details, the way we've built our two companies align in so many ways that I'm sure we'll have our stumbling blocks like anybody else, but to your point, we know we're ultimately aligned culturally and with our, not just business values, but our personal values as well.
0: Taking that cultural piece aside is almost like like operating with a safety net because there's a fit. So I'm excited to see where things develop for your two companies as you come together and I think it'll be a great benefit for both of you and the industry. Yeah,
1: no, It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. A lot of us have been in smaller family companies. You might only have 40 or 50 employees and you have the benefit of knowing everybody and you know their stories, you know their first name. As you grow, is that lost? And if so, do those companies still see the success or you know, or do the leaders of those companies try, do the successful leaders of those companies make a point to still have that human element to, to doing business together?
0: That's a great question. I mean, there there's no doubt that complexity increases exponentially as you expand your employee base and your physical locations and potentially for some uh, different industries. And those challenges are met through this dynamic of embodying those core values. So, if you think about the concept behind uh, behind that that framework, you have a leader of the organization, and, and alongside uh, their leadership team, they've crafted these core values that they've embodied, that they're higher firing and rewarding and recognizing accordingly, and that begins to uh, permeate the organization and and drip down the organization. So you know, how do you manage those complexities? On-site visits, uh, periodic quarterly lunches, um, and and there's a lot of work that goes into that. But when, you know, the owner drives and, and, and believes in the same sets of values that the general manager at at the site location and then their operating manager and their sales manager and their customer service manager shipping manager maintenance manager that permeates its way up and down the organization for that kind of consistent messaging and and really that human factor where the things that are important are up and down the organization so while the complexity grows it's possible and it just, it, it comes in the form of consistency. It comes in the form of that phrase of eating your own cooking. You know, if, if you're looking to put some fancy values on a poster and slap it on the wall in every one of your plants, you'll never get to that authentic family atmosphere where people believe that their, their presence is valued beyond a body that, that runs a machine or, or picks up a phone. So I think there's a, a tremendous amount that goes into it and it's a, it's a ton of work, but if growth and expansion is your goal, that, that's a table stake or, or you, will, you will consistently uh, struggle with trying to find talent that wants to stay in the organization.
1: What struck me as you were talking, especially in today's day and age with retention, finding talent and retaining talent is not an easy thing to do. And I'm just, I guess I, I'm curious to know are millennials, are the younger generation of employees really looking for top dollar or are they looking for an atmosphere and an environment where they feel valued and there's a human to human connection or are they more likely to stick around in that type of atmosphere for a buck or two less, three bucks less just because it's maybe a more enjoyable environment or, you know, from a, from a retention aspect, I feel like the human aspect of this is going to really improve your business as well
0: there's so much going on in in your question it's you know we unpack a few things and again these are uh, these are my personal opinions based on my experience also three daughters that are moving their way into the professional workforce right now birth years 95 98 99 and you know i think that some of the very best coaches and sales managers and managers i've met are the ones when i interview them and and talk about their style and how they lead and manage and and they're quick to in kind of the first five minutes or so talk about well it 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 depends on the individual, right? There there's the there's the diamond in the rough is is we we can't paint new talent with the same brush. They're lazy and they want to stay home or they, they don't want to come into the office. You know, it's 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 all of these stereotypes based on one or two experiences where really it's It's incumbent to to dig in and understand are the things that are important and priorities to me as the hiring manager eliciting themselves in the conversation with this prospective person coming back to me and and are they mirroring and, and am I getting that vibe and, and that that's the piece that's important and, and so to just simply paint it with this brush is going to create this environment where you, you can't seem to find those people. There was an AICC presentation a long time ago, I, I wish I could recall who it was, but did a presentation on interviewing and his effective message was, ninety percent of interviewers don't make it past an hour and he said in his research that he found that past that hour into that second hour more will either confirm itself in what they've talked about in the first 60 minutes or refute what they told you at the beginning that it'll radically improve your success rate in hiring. And uh, in my personal experience, I've, I've even had interviews that have gone a half hour and I'm quick to hire. And, uh, and really the message there is slow to hire, quick to fire. Um, and really taking your time and making sure that you can confirm um, these these kind of core values that they live by that they, that they embody, what's important to them, that those priorities that you're hearing fit with where your company's priorities are or yours as the leader, and find a fit. So you know every one of these young kids will be successful. The question is is will that happen at, at your company or somewhere else?
1: Just listening to you talk over the last couple episodes and knowing your background with the OS and you know the word core values comes up like a lot. Like a a lot, you know, so clearly it's meaningful to you and what you've done in your career and you think it's very important. For those that aren't running a business on EOS or any type of framework, talk a little bit about core values and who it is that is implementing the core values, who's coming up with those core values, who in a company is driving those conversations.
0: I've always talked about having some strategic framework in your business. I don't care what it is, but you have to have some framework uh, in which you can coordinate and organize your strategy and then how you execute on that strategy. And and so I'm a, a believer in uh, the entrepreneurial operating system, EOS. You can look it up online. I won't go into the entire history of that. But uh, but really one of the key tenets in kind of setting your vision for the business is, is defining your core values. And the exercise that they walk you through is if you could write down the names of two or three people in your organization today, that if you could replicate would lead your company to market domination, what are some characteristics that they embody? So this is not an exercise of what characteristics they aspire to have, but what they actually embody. And so you, you spend this time with, uh, with your leadership team, uh, kind of crafting this list. And then you, you share, well, who did you have, Joe? Who did you put down as, as your people that you would replicate? And Gene, who did you put down? And, and what were those kind of characteristics that you talked about? And you, you hone this, this kind of list down to maybe three to seven. And then what you do is you begin to measure everyone in the organization in accordance with those core values and some sort of uh, minimum requirement okay so so what is it that we'd like to see and and ultimately you will have a a a small basket hopefully it's not very large of folks in the organization that are just the wrong people so it certainly doesn't mean to say that they're not good people they're not great citizens they just don't fit within the framework of the organization what you're trying to accomplish is is how do we get a lot of the right people in the company, you know, Jim Collins talks about right people on in the right seats. So this exercise is really kind of bifurcating how to get the right people in the organization and the and the wrong people out of the organization. Because at, at the end of the day, the, the the philosophy is that the wrong people. Like cancer, kind of eat you from the inside out. They have a way of really kind of not not jibing with the message or the values, and and it becomes uh, disconcerting. Kind of this this underpinning that takes place, and so if you could first find the right people, then you can get them in the right seat, and and that's just the the whole concept behind it is is just very meaningful to me because again to grow your business and to create that culture and consistency, if you think through that exercise, you're constantly bringing the right people into the organization and then ultimately finding them the right spot to be. That's pretty powerful. And so that piece is a really important aspect. I have my own set of core values that I, I try to, to work on every single day and. You know, I'll just give you a couple of them, but one is you gotta bring humor to every situation. I I crack a lot of jokes. I like to sit in meetings and a couple of good humorous lines really just calms everyone down and disarms the situation a little bit and lets people relax and be themselves. I worked for a guy, Owen Beacom, early in my career that very very great sense of humor and uh, I just always enjoyed being with Owen because we'd be in these very interesting dynamic situations and and he'd say something kind of funny and and it just you just watch the the temperature in the room drop and everybody relax and and I've always enjoyed that and my other big one is own your own monkey there's just nothing more um, concerning to me when someone comes in and they throw their monkey on my desk and they walk out the door. You know, we, we all have them. We're carrying them every day as leaders, as line staff. Wherever you are in the organization, you've got all kinds. You're bringing them in from home. You have them in your professional life, and just own your own monkey. We've got to just. We can't just put all of our burden on someone else and expect them to solve the problems. And so, you know, I try to live by that framework in the personal relationships that I have and the things that I try to do. when, when someone needs help, there's one thing about helping them with their monkey, but it's there's another about, hey, you know, now this is your problem. Yeah. So, uh, so,
1: no, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, that core values philosophy is is pretty important.
1: Man, maybe this turns into an, an interview of, of Yeah, you I'm, I'm getting Sorry, a little uncomfortable, and that. all yeah, of a sudden, that, this I, I feel like I'm.
0: Just let me just make my disclaimer, <laughs> my usual disclaimer to, to the listeners: these are uh, the opinions of uh, of the uh, author. One so, man. <laughs> one man. Please, uh, please save your hate mail for uh, for another podcast. Now, what?
1: Uh, where did where did your interest in the framework and the strategic framework and the EOS system? Where did that? When did that develop? Where did that come from? Is it through time? Is there any a specific experience in your career where you just said, "Okay, this is."
0: The right way to go. I'm going to dive in and be
1: fully committed to it.
0: Interpack, owned by a private equity firm, and, and we were really trying to put frameworks in place without a structure. I was new to EOS, did not know about it, and we were working on all of these dynamics. You know, what is our vision? Where are we going? What are our core values? What's important to us? How do we create a weekly cadence? And it's just really kind of a hard thing to do organically uh, within an organization. And so let and, me
1: just quickly yeah. stop you because I feel like you know, you're know you talking right, right there about trying to implement all of these things. And you're like, like I said earlier, staring up at a mountaintop that might be pretty damn big. And here you are new to the inner pack. You, at this point, I assume, it was early in the... In- no,
0: actually. Oh, jeez. No, okay. Yeah, yeah. But I think your, your point is a good one. I, you know, I've always enjoyed a challenge. Yeah. So my longest and, uh, and, and most um, consistent uh, message is, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I think that a lot of that maybe comes from my athletic uh, background in wrestling. The long-standing joke of wrestling is, it, it's not fun, it's fulfilling. So no one really <laughs> enjoys um, you know around roll, rolling around <laughs> and, and and you know basically if if anyone saw any of the footage from the NCAA national championships this year they do a v- montage of the faces of the champions at the end and uh, there is more bruising and stitching on the faces of those uh, young men and women that it's truly amazing but I think that's kind of always brought this mindset of it's just every day is another day to just kind of improve on what you're working on and it wasn't a question of. What whether or not uh, you know the mountain was this high we just knew we had to start climbing in order to make all the things we're talking about to attract good talent and get into new markets and grow and when when all those things are exciting and passionate, the money comes. If it's all about, you know, how you generate another five bucks to the bottom line and and things like that, I think you lose sight of of why you're doing what you're doing. And so that was our mindset. We were owned by a private equity firm, but we had to behave like businessmen that had a a plan and a direction. And so that was something I had to learn the hard way. My first time as the leader of Interpac, owned by a private equity firm, I, I got wrapped up into how we produce these numbers. And a couple of mentors of mine really just said, look, where are you going? How are you gonna get there? Who's gonna help you get there? And why is this important? All the rest of that stuff is gonna come. And so it was still very daunting. You can't go halfway up a mountain, you know what I mean? So we kind of saw that stuff really quickly. You know, ultimately the decision was made to sell the company, that, that was a successful transition and I joined this private equity firm that owned us and the interesting part was we were, I was introduced to the book and there's a, a an annual organizational checklist that's done by EOS and I'm in a Starbucks and I'm kind of cackling like a crazy person because they're asking all these questions that we were, we were asking ourselves. Is there a clear vision that everyone understands in the business? how do you regularly communicate with your people? And it it just dawned on me. I was like, this this is just an amazing framework. So, you know, fast forward to being at the private equity firm and and one of the general partners in the firm, a, a guy by the name of Brendan Anderson. Brendan has this unique style about him where he gets the fact that you have to have this singular focus and passion for your for your strategy. I used to tell him he was a bulldog because he would just drive me into this conversation of where are we going? And so when Interpac got sold and I joined the private equity firm, Brennan was, was trying to create a framework within the portfolio companies where they would all speak the same language and all have the same framework and that we would be able to understand that framework as well as they did and i had met an eos implementer in chicago a a gentleman by the name of renee bohr and we wound up Uh, all being trained as implementers. So we felt that we had to eat our own cooking. We had to implement EOS at the private equity firm. We had to all become uh, certified implementers to understand what was going to take place with these portfolio companies. And then we would seek out companies to purchase and bring into the fold that were willing and interested in implementing EOS, and uh, and it really it really took off. And I left the firm to uh, to go back into the box business, but but Brendan really took it in a whole another direction. And they would have annual meetings with their CEOs that are all in this framework, and and they're all excited about implementing it and what they're doing in their organizations. And it and it really became something special.
1: Maybe we talked about it on our previous podcast, or I don't know. Maybe it was a just a call between you and I. And when you invest in those types of practices and frameworks and you engage in them and implement all these things and stay on top of them and continually push forward, the results come. And I heard you say a few minutes ago, you know, the money will come. And yeah. in the same respect, results will come if you implement them. And it, I look back at almost 10 years ago now, My pat my wife on the back for a minute. Don't tell her I'm doing that because she'll, <laughs> she'll take it to another level that I'm complimenting her. But she doesn't listen to this we, podcast. We, so we, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I was banking on her to be the only listener. To them. <laughs> Uh, no, she, you know, we were put into a situation a couple of years back. And now we her dad, get out of the day to day. So put her in charge. Unbelievable opportunity. But when we started opening doors and pulling back the sheets and seeing what was actually there, you know, there was a lot of strategic framework that needed to be implemented in order for us to see success. Like we realized it right away. So to your point, you know, once we implemented it, once she started putting her plan in place and people bought in, you know, it took a little bit of time, but within a relatively quick time frame we went from kind of being a mess in the books to having our most successful year, top line and bottom line. And then really quickly people started to buy in because the results came. So it kind of, that, that success kind of just snowballed. Yes. And once people started seeing those results, it just, I wouldn't say easy because you obviously have to stay on top of it. Obviously it's a a lot of work, but relatively speaking, once we got things up and running, the success came fairly quickly.
0: To your point, I mean, when, when we talk about, Hey, you know, you. Put a framework in place and the, and the money will come you know what are you passionate about the money will come i, I think what, what's important to understand there is the detail that goes into absolutely the clarity behind yeah. what is your strategic differentiator when you start asking uh, your leadership team those questions and you could clearly define why you're different than your competition you're now selling something into the marketplace that has value. So it's the clarity that comes from answering all these questions and really defining who you are and and why you're different and and what you bring to the marketplace and and identifying in a clear way what your customer looks like and how they behave and where they are and what's important that they're looking for in the offering. It's putting that together and then living within that framework is what helps you get to where you need to go to. I'm not, we're, we're not simply talking about, hey, you know, read a book and all of a sudden you no, profit. No. Yeah, there, there is, to your point, there's a lot of hard work that goes in Yeah, there. I
1: think I said it in the initial podcast. I can name a number of people within our organization that for two to three months, four months, five months, it was a struggle to get them on board. It was a struggle to get them to really believe into what we were doing. And then even once they started following suit and getting on board, you know, we still need to have these monthly meetings. We still need to have these accountability sessions. And, uh, but once again, once the results started coming, it was like, okay, they were like, oh, geez, you know, okay, all right, this is great. Now they were on board and they were doing it themselves. And they took ownership of the program and started really implementing it themselves. So it certainly was a lot of time spent and hard work. The benefits came quickly as relative, but all things considered, if you can put something in place with intent and you can stay on top of, and you have some champions within your organization that'll help, you will see success if you invest. Yep. I, I, I see this tagline behind me here for AICC. It says, if you invest and engage, you know, AICC delivers success. It's a similar slogan if you if you do that with anything that you put into place at your company.
0: If you map out, what are we selling? Why are we different? You know, all, all the things that go into uh, The eight questions of of EOS. Look, look it up in the uh, in the show notes. You can you can get the eight questions. But really, it allows leadership to look at every instance and say, okay, what you're introducing to the group or what you're bringing to me at the table. Does it get us closer to or further away? And I think those are the types of things that help organizations succeed. You know, you can't chase 180 things and expect all 180 to come out A-plus first place. It, you, you have to be somewhat singularly focused in order to, to drive those kinds of results. And I may have said it in, in the podcast, I, it's not my line, I, I heard it from somebody, but your view depends upon your seat. So your view of the world depends upon your seat. The people on the line, the people remote, uh, the people that, uh, that work outside in a different geography, they are not close to the sun. They don't understand the things that are going on in the company. So how are you communicating and sharing that message in your organization with consistency, with clarity? So everyone is just hearing a repeatable message and really understands, hey, the men and women leading this business, they have their act together. They, they can clearly define for me what they want from me, what they'd like to see, where they're trying to take us, and I can, I can put my faith and trust in that, and I can do my part to help contribute to that success, and it's exactly as you described, it begins to steamroll, and, and it's contagious.
1: Can a business in today's day and age be ultimately successful? Can they grow without some sort of framework?
0: There are plenty of successful companies that don't have a framework. They may have their own sets of challenges. You know, I, I can't simply say you must have a framework or you won't succeed, but it, it will really, as you grow and the complexities are introduced, some sort of tool will be required. I've been a part of organizations that over 30 years went from one location to seven. And you hear these great stories about, remember when we used to have that Christmas talent show and everybody had come in and do some, and they just laugh and laugh. And and how do you keep that fun atmosphere alive in, in, in the business? Because those complexities will change it. I think that a single site, one leader organization has probably an easier time sharing the message and really driving that kind of core value culture, I think complexity changes that. So I would probably posit that many of our members, you know, initially come in as a single site business, owner founder, or maybe a couple of, of owners. And it's, it's really, it's, it's what they embody that's, that's driving this business. And so time will tell how much more something like a framework gets penetrated in these businesses as transitions begin to unfold. So probably not a total uh, committed answer. But, Just
1: curious. Yeah, yeah. You've been, you're, a couple of years older than I am, so just wanted to know if, Easy. you know,
0: he's, I know, I don't want to you that, that hard.
1: I didn't say a full decade older than me, but. Uh, also e- true? Um, no, just curious. And I think we, you know, we kind of hammered home the EOS point and framework point in the last 20 minutes or so. I just think it's an important part in our business anyway of seeing our success over the years, much to how you've described it. It, it works if people commit to it.
0: There, there are very good leaders. They're charismatic. They're passionate. They are singularly focused, they know who to who to bring in the organization and who to keep out. And really the, the message is in order to create that continuity of leadership and that sustainability, how do you memorialize that framework, put it in writing, get everybody on the same page so as that business grows, you do not become the the bottleneck of decision-making. I think uh, Sean McDermott is going to uh, give a presentation uh, on Thursday to our group. Sean is the founder of a company called The Traction Group uh, in Chicago. Um, worked in banking as, as I did. That's where we originally met. Subsequent to that, uh, ran and, and operated two successful businesses, one as an executive, one as an owner. So he gets it. And, and now he's an EOS implementer, but he'll talk about the ability of a business to really thrive off of the energy of the founder. It's continuity. It's making it to that next 25, 50 years and, and beyond. And some businesses are happy uh, to have that charismatic leader. And when they're ready to, to close the doors, they'll just pack up the tent and go home. But but there are many who look to this team that has been loyal and hardworking and committed to the organization, uh, helping them into their next generation. As well, so it depends.
1: I think as we um, go into this week, this is your chairman. This <laughs> is this is your meeting. This yeah. is this is your chairmanship year. And I mean, what is something you want to see people get out of this this week?
0: Bill Nye, the science guy. I, I know my kids grew up watching him. He, you know, He says you learn from every interaction, and and I absolutely love that. We we have a chance. We've got a great turnout this week, and I, I just would love it if 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 people can take one or two things away from the speakers, from our suppliers, from their peers and, uh, and really take it back to their shop and let everyone benefit from the knowledge. And, and that to me would, would mean a successful meeting we're looking forward to it.
1: Well, I guess as we wrap this up a little bit and maybe look forward to the next couple podcasts and some of the guests that we have coming on in the the near future. You know, if we don't want to drop any names, but really some good stories behind the way they've they've built their business over the last 20 30 years. I also think we have some people coming on in the next couple episodes that are going to offer a lot of good deep dives into some of the stuff you've talked about the entrepreneurship and the framework situations that that they've implemented in their businesses. So, I think we have a diverse next couple months.
0: You hit it right on the head. We we've got a great story of pack up the family we're moving, great story of uh, someone that works for a, a very large global Organization and he is just a, a very uh, charismatic, caring a leader. Very authentic, and, and we've got uh, we've got some other folks uh, that were hired in and, and non-owners have had a chance to become uh, owners in their organization and have really built exciting businesses. So yeah, we've got some good uh, perspectives coming. Different paths of all trying. We're all trying to get to the same place, and and that's. Uh, to create a a successful enterprise that people like and enjoy doing business with and, and coming to work for every day. Breaking down boxes.
1: New shows will drop the first Monday of every month.
0: Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.